Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. I don't know any of my colleagues that are actively seeking to, to prosecute abortions. That's not something we're looking for. Um, but anytime the governor comes in via executive order and takes any authority that the voter has vested in us, away from us, it's, it's a grave concern and um, quite frankly sets a very dangerous precedent moving forward. It doesn't interfere with the parents' bill of rights. It's not like an actual ban on conversion therapy, though it has to be statutory. And it appears as though the speaker thinks this is a full ban. It's just a ban on the state promoting or, or supporting conversion therapy. I did check in uh, with uh, not only Governor Ducey, but other governors in states that were going through the legal process of reviewing their election results, but uh, there was no pressure involved. They were very aware of the January 6th committee testimony that I gave. There may have been something that I said that was of interest, but I don't remember anything standing out that had not been mentioned before. I find it just offensive that in 2000 and 23 uh, women still have to justify and explain why they're perfectly capable of making meaningful and rational uh, health and well-being choices. And with me to talk about the efforts to get Governor Hobbs to rescind some recently issued executive orders, new details about former President Trump's effort to change the election results in Arizona and more, our former State House Minority Leader, Reginald Bolding. Reginald, good morning. Good morning. And Chip Scutari of S&C Communications. Hey there, Chip. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to both of you. So, Chip, let me start with you with a, a number of county attorneys, both Democrat and Republican in Arizona, asking Governor Hobbs to rescind her executive order dealing with abortion prosecutions. This is the one that basically took that power away from county attorneys and centralized it uh, in the AG's office. No indication the governor is going to do this. So... Is this just a precursor to something else, do you think? You know, when uh, Governor Hobbs was elected, there is no secret that reproductive health care, reproductive freedom was uh, a big deal to her and to her administration, as is their – you know, that's their mission and that's what they believe in and and that is their right. And as everyone knows, abortion is a deeply personal, emotional issue. Um, And most polls show, you know, a healthy majority of Arizonans support abortion in most cases. Um, But with that said, I think what she did with this executive order, uh, I think it's a bit of executive overreach. Um, And I agree with the 12 county attorneys, including Maricopa County uh, Attorney Rachel uh, Mitchell, that it was, you know, it's going to strip away their prosecutorial discretion. And my fear as a a citizen of Arizona, you know, putting this issue of abortion aside is that it could set a real dangerous precedent for future governors. Um, I mean, just imagine what Carrie Lake and Abe Hamada could cook up with stripping the powers of county attorney. So I understand where uh, Governor Hobbs is on this issue and uh, she believes in it passionately. And I understand that and I respect it. I just don't think this was the correct way to go. What do you make of the fact that there were not all, but some Democratic county attorneys who signed on to this basically saying, as Chip was, as Chip was alluding to, yeah, like what, whatever you think about abortion, you're taking our power away from us and we were elected by our constituents just like you were? No, I mean, I think it's a I think it's an it's an, an appropriate argument. I mean, I, I would I would imagine that any county attorney who's 
uh, powers or authorities may be stripped away in any form or fashion would feel a particular way. It's something I get and I understand. I, I also know that, you know, Governor Hobbs, um, Attorney General Mays, uh, they made it no secret uh, during the elections, well, you know, that their plan and their intent and their purpose while in office was to protect women's uh, rights, uh, was to protect women's, you know, body uh, bodies and, and and make sure that women aren't being prosecuted, doctors aren't being prosecuted for abortion. So, I mean, this was an issue that, you know, I believe the public had the ability to um, weigh in on when they chose uh, the governor and they chose the attorney general. Um, I, I do think that when you start to look at other areas of uh, the law, um, you know, it could set a, a dangerous precedent. But I think on abortion, I do think abortion was an issue um, that ultimately decided the, the 2022 election. I think that, you know, Governor Hobbs, you know, let everyone know where she was. And, and, and I think that overwhelmingly uh, people in Arizona is going to support the move. You know, I, I could have seen this if, say, Maricopa County being our largest county by far, if the county attorney of Maricopa County was a zealot on abortion. Um, but when you look at Rachel Mitchell, as a, I, I believe she's a pragmatic Republican um, who takes the cases one by one, um, who's uh, very reasonable on most issues or every issue as far as I'm concerned. So I don't think it was necessary at this time. My hope is that the 12 county attorneys, maybe all 15 county attorneys, can get together with Attorney General Chris Mays and the Hobbs administration and maybe work out some kind of compromise so that this can be straightened out so it doesn't set that dangerous precedent for the future because this could really be weaponized for future governors on either the left or the right. One last thing I would say, you know, with the county attorneys, you know, if they, you know, many of them and most that I've seen have said that they have no intent on uh, prosecuting you know, women or doctors. Right. I, what they could do is they can turn into uh, advocates at the legislature and ensure that uh, we are that policy that needs to be passed is actually you know passed. I mean, you know, the reality is is you know abortion still is very difficult uh, for many people here in the state of Arizona. If they have no plan of actually prosecuting it, um, I think they can help start, lobby some legislators and lawmakers. And I'm sure that you know once we make sure that 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 ban is off the books uh, from pre-statehood. Um, that you know, the executive order doesn't won't even matter at that point. I, I think the letter from the county attorneys they requested uh, a uh, response by today. By today, yeah. so, Now I, I know the governor spokesperson said we're not rescinding it. So hopefully there can be some behind the scenes uh, conversations to work out some kind of deal on this, giving the prosecutors back their uh, discretion, but also um, uh, also enforcing what uh, Governor Hobbs believes on abortion-related cases. Well, Chip, we had a Pinal County attorney, Ken Volkmer, on earlier this week, and he basically said if she doesn't rescind it, or maybe, you know, as you referenced, if there's not some kind of deal cut in the, in, in the background there, they're prepared potentially to sue on this. And I wonder if in some ways that may be helps the governor if, you know, going into an election year, just purely politically, not looking at the issue of abortion, not looking at the, the human issues involved here, but just pure politically, does that help the governor if going into next year she is seen as 
despite literally legally fighting for women's reproductive rights. It absolutely could, especially if there's a ballot initiative in 2024. So what I'm hearing and what I think will happen, I'm not for sure, but I, I think they'll they'll kind of uh, vet a possible lawsuit against the state. Um, but I, I don't believe the county attorneys will move forward with that. Mm. I know they're discussing it, but I think when push comes to shove, they'll do the, the way the risk reward scenario and it doesn't pencil out. Reginald, would you agree with that, that maybe they would want to sue but ultimately choose not to? Yeah, I mean, this is this has been one of my, my biggest gripes um, with uh, some of my, my colleagues on the right is that when we're talking about abortion issues, um, everyone says that they, you know, no one's going after women. Um, you know, women should have the, the ability to choose to do what they want. Uh, they say that in one, in, in one uh, breath and in the other breath. Uh, it's it's a completely different argument. I mean, the, the reality is if these county attorneys um, feel any particular way, if they believe that this is an issue that on its merits that they need to sue, they need to sue for it, go ahead, move forward with the issue. I think absolutely politically women and, and, and allies will believe and we'll see um, what the governor has done and what she's done and she's fighting for reproductive rights for women. Reginald, we also saw this week House Speaker Ben Toa, uh, your former colleague, sent a letter to the governor asking her to basically complaining about the another executive order she issued dealing with uh, LGBTQ rights, specifically Toma's concern about uh, the governor's uh, push to end conver- so-called uh, conversion therapy. What do you make of what, what Mr. Toma had to say and, and the governor's response, as we talked about with the abortion order, is like, we're, we're not changing this. But what, what do you make of what Mr. Toma had to say? You know, I, so one of the, one of the biggest uh, secrets at the legislature is that not all lawmakers read every single piece of legislation. No and, way. And, and, get, and, get and, and, and that's oh also goes to executive orders. The executive order doesn't ban conversion therapy. Like, it, it, it doesn't do that. It doesn't say that. It, it does not allow the state to promote it, put resources in there. So I think the letter in and of itself is not even attacking what the governor did with the executive order. Um, I think if we take a step back, read exactly what the governor said in the executive order, uh, then I, I think, you know, clearly we'll see that there's no issue. Chip, I'm just going to need a second to get over what Reginald just said yeah. about lawmakers not reading every single piece of legislation before they vote on it. While I'm considering that and cogitating <laughs> on that, I'm curious what, what you make of this. I mean, obviously, these issues, LGBTQ issues, sort of so-called culture war issues, big deal at the Capitol this past year. Do you see this as kind of just a, a part of that? Yes, I think this is part of the echo chamber of the far right who get the people who get elected in ruby red districts at the state Capitol. That confer- con- conversion therapy is frowned upon in most um, audiences and most places. Um, you know, you don't see a lot, you know, there's not a conversion therapy caucus or a conversion therapy. People aren't raising money for it, or PACs for it or independent expenditures. Um, so I just think this reflects how deep-seated some of these culture wars are for the far right, not mainstream Republicans, but the far right. Um, and I, I think most people, I'll say this as a, a raging rhino myself, think conversion therapy is appalling and not needed and it's not effective. Be, there's been study after study debunking that you can't pray away the gay as it was, it was referred to quite crudely back in the day. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think you know he's doing this to help with his caucus. But like, how does how does it help the caucus? I mean, he sends a letter, and the governor's office basically 
kind of ignores it. Like, how does that how does that help? As Reginald knows, um, what happens down at the Capitol is a lot of times you're doing something on one issue to protect your flank on other issues. It may be something he has to, you know, talk tough on one issue. I'm not saying Speaker Tome, but just in general, political leaders down mm-hmm. at the Capitol to get either a budget vote or a vote on Prop 400 or something. There could be showing his far right flank, the Freedom Caucus, hey, I'm with you guys. And you do the letter and you move on and he may not spend another five minutes thinking about it. So it's not always about the issue at hand. It's about two or three issues down the road or some some vote he may need for a crucial piece of legislation either next year or later this year. S- safe to say that he's maybe thinking a few steps ahead there, Reginald? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Speaker Toma, he's a, he's a, he's a smart man. Uh, he, he's, he's a good guy. And, and, and I, I'll say this, that I do believe that um, he... Had, he put this letter out in an attempt to show that they're trying to fight back against Governor Hobbs. Look, I mean, when you take a look at the last several, you know, weeks, last several months, I really believe that the governor has really been playing, you know, uh, you know, chess while the legislature in many cases have been playing checkers. Look, on this issue, if Speaker Toma is going to fight for, you know, conversion therapy, um, and 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 they're gonna and then you have county attorneys who are gonna fight to sue with regards to uh, taking away women's reproductive. I mean that those are checkmates for the governor's office. I mean those executive orders have done what she said she was gonna do, and that's standing up and fighting for you know um, disenfranchised communities. My guests this week are Chip Skatari of SNC Communications and former State House Minority Leader Reginald Bolding. Chip, let me start with you with uh, some reporting from the Washington Post this week um, that. Basically, there was more to former President Trump's efforts to uh, maybe look into or change the results of the election in Arizona back in 2020 than we had previously known, including some contact with with former Governor Ducey. I was just shocked to hear this. I couldn't believe President, former President Trump would do something like this. And, um, you know, it added some context to the story, but we've heard this before Um I do believe that I'm sure he, he had called, if not Governor Ducey, people as an administration or legislators trying to pressure uh, to overturn the Arizona election, which, you know, was only decided by less than 12,000 votes. Um, so it's really not, you know, br- groundbreaking news. Um, but I, it's interesting that this, that, you know, what's called the big lie about election, uh, overturning a free and fair election, um, this big lie has gotten more pervasive and more sticky after January six, people thought the insurrection would be like, okay, these election deniers are going to go away. It has done the opposite. And there's a great piece in the New York Times this week talking to political scientists. And they said, you know, the reason it's so powerful is because endorsing the lie pays off for Republicans Mm. in primaries, not in general elections or in swing districts, but it's you're rewarded when you perpetuate the big lie in a far right district or a primary, a contested primary. And that's why this is sticking. So unfortunately, Governor Ducey did the right thing. He signed the election. But this big lie has now snowballed into becoming a key uh, platform of the right wing and the GOP base, which I think is going to lead to a lot of general election losses if they keep it up. Reginald, one of the things that that came out of this story is that former Governor Ducey apparently has not been contacted by the special counsel looking into all of this. If, in fact, that is the case, does that seem surprising to you? Yeah, it does seem surprising. I mean, you would, you would think that, you know, he'd be at the top of uh, anyone's list if you're looking into the state of Arizona. I mean, from the comments that I got, it, it appeared as if he's he's 
quietly asking for for them to reach out to him. So, you know, hey, they didn't, you know, subpoena me, but I'm available if you want to. I mean, that's what I got from the comments, Um, you know, uh, and and, and if that's what he chooses to do, you know, so be it. Uh, Maybe he has additional information. Um, But when we're talking about the big lie, I think to Chip's point, you know, um, in Republican primaries, this thing is being rewarded. When you look at any national poll, Trump is still, you know, far and ahead, the front leader, the front runner uh, in the presidential race on the Republican side. And and only thing it takes is to look at Arizona statewide elections, uh, competitive legislative seats and see that this is not paying off for the Republican Party. Um, in the general election. But if that's a path that, you know, uh, you know, Republicans are going to take, then I think that's one they have to be recognizing that they will be in the in the minority. You know, we uh, I think you played some tape of former vice president, Mike Pence, yes. yeah. who is friends with the, uh, Governor Ducey. I noticed this week, I believe it was this week, he's campaigning in Iowa uh, with a, probably a group of 20 people. There's a, a senior citizen lady probably in her 70s, and she keeps interrupting him to say, you know, Mr. Pence, you could have overturned the yeah. election, but you didn't. And he, to his credit, was very calm and very articulate. And he said, the U.S. Constitution does not allow me to do that. I did my duty. But there's a whole cast of a lot of voters like her that believe that Donald Trump won the 2020 election just because he could not face losing. He was that insecure and narcissistic. This is what it comes down to. He's the biggest sore loser in America, but he has spiraled now to several different all across the country. And even Mike Pence, who is his loyal vice president, is dealing with you know shouts from uh, Republican audiences. Well, Chip, it's interesting, and this kind of goes to another uh, something else I wanted to ask you guys about, which is some reporting from Reuters this week that looked into fundraising and sort of the general financial uh, stability of the. Republican parties in a couple of swing states, including Arizona. And one of the things they found was that Arizona, the state party, isn't in terrific financial shape in part because donors are kind of turned off by the way that that party leadership presumably the former chair Kelly Ward and others really embraced the big lie and really were all in for former President Trump and all in for candidates who basically were were simply loyal to the former president. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm not going to stick up for Kelly Ward here, but I do know, you know, even when I was covering politics 10, 15 years ago, the, the both state parties, Democrat, Republican parties in Arizona have been slowly dismantled and they're less and less important. Um, so for a, a Donald Trump, for a U.S. Senate candidate, you don't, you know, need them as much. But where the parties do matter is getting out the vote, you know, doing mail for those lower down the ballot, right, you know, yeah. uh, Corporation commissioners, legislative count, races, legislative races. So, so that's where it will hurt. And when you see a, a Tucson businessman, Jim Click, who's one of the most loyal Republicans you'll ever have, saying, "I'm not going to donate to the Republican Party. I'm sure he'll donate to PACs and to other funds." But it's it's a big hit to both parties, but more so to the Republicans right now. Well, so Reginald, when you know Governor Hobbs has said, you know, it is her goal, which is probably not surprising, to flip at least one of the chambers of the legislature to, to Democratic control, and you know there are efforts to. You know, get Democrats elected up and down the ballot, but especially to legislative races, to maybe county uh, supervisor races, things like that. Is that, to Chip's point, where 
some of the party's financial problems might help and might give Democrats a bit of a boost? Absolutely. I mean, I think Chip uh, hit the nail directly on the head there. So, you know, the, the major races, when you talk about here in Arizona, the presidential, the U.S. Senate, the congressional races, they'll have all the money that they need to, to get out their message. But it is going to be those other races that have much more difficult time fundraising and actually mobilizing. Uh, you know, the, the Democratic Party has done a, a, a great job, you know, working with top of the ticket and statewide candidates and, and even the legislature uh, to create movements within districts that are having the ability to get people elected. And, and I do think that's hurting the Republican Party. Look, if you look at our state legislature now, there's a one vote margin. And, you know, even if you go back four years ago, the, the number probably should have been, you know, 30, 30, you know, in, in 2020 and 2022. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so I in essence, you know, this has has, has already come into effect and played an effect, and and I think you know the the Democratic Party uh, has to has to execute um, and make sure that they're taking the majority. I mean, I really the majority literally is in fingertips reach. You know, I've been covering well, I've been covering around politics since 1997, 1998, and you know, it seems like every two year cycle the Democrats have you know, kind of like the boy who cried wolf, like we're gonna take the state house, we're gonna take the. It's state been Senate. a conversation for a while. <laughs> yeah. But I will say in 2024, with how the districts are lining up, because there are election deniers who will be on the ballot in these legislative, key legislative swing districts in Tucson and, say, a Chandler area, I think 2024 is the Democrats' best chance of taking the House and the Senate. And I'm sure Governor Hobbs and her political team are working hard because I think that's her best bet to have, you know, you know, House and Senate that she could work with in 2024 and beyond. Well, it's interesting. We had uh, pollster Paul Benson last week, who, and we were talking about the uh, the district, Steve, former Senator Steve Kaiser's district, sort of a north-central Phoenix PV Mall area district. And Benz referred to that district as, I think the word he used was scrumptious for the Democrats, <laughs> given the three uh, yeah. candidates that the Republican precinct committee members in that district uh, yep. put up in the county board of supervisors has to pick one of them. You know, uh, you know, we I can say, tell you this, that, you know, Democrats are, are really uh, bullish on that district. You know, a great candidate already has announced and, and Representative Judy Schriebert, um, teacher, has been effective at the legislature. I think she'll I think she'll do very well there. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll see what that nomination process looks like and, and whoever gets it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the Senate, the Senate is right there. I think the House is right along. You know, I love Paul Bentz, but I think Gouda cheese is scrumptious. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it legislative You're not district looking at scrumptious. District scrumptious. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. Fair, fair enough. I mean, potato, potato, yeah. right? <laughs> Reginald, uh, just a couple minutes left. I want to ask you about uh, another one of your former colleagues, uh, former uh, House Minority Leader Andres Cano, uh, officially resigned from the legislature this week. He'd announced a little while back he was leaving to go to grad school at Harvard, which you know that's a decent institution, I suppose. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious, like. From your perspective, given where sort of Democrats are now and looking to go uh, in 2024, is is it impactful in any way to have a new leadership team coming in as 2024 kicks off, or does it not really matter that much? You know, the, the great thing about the, the House Democratic Caucus is that, you know, um, they have an incredibly talented bunch of uh, leaders who've already been there, and then also uh, you know leaders who are who are in, incoming. I mean, when you look at the Democratic Caucus right now, 
um, you have former leaders who are in leadership right now who actually bring tremendous value to the rest of the caucus. So, you know, and, and also with the, you know, the, the nomination and, um, of, you know, a leader, uh, Contreras, I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's been in leadership, you know, last decade. Right. So, I mean, I think that they're going to be, uh, really excited and, and ready to move forward, you know, uh, on the legislative end and on the political end, um, you know, uh, with the ADOCC, you know, you have chairman, uh, Jennifer Longdon, who's leading that uh, with the, you know, the caucus there, they're they're raising the money that they need to. Um, they're identifying these districts, and I think they're going to do a great job. Just real quick, I think 2024, I think there probably be a good chance to get some good candidates for the Democrats because if they think they can really take the state house and the state senate and be in power, which hasn't happened for a long time. I covered a split um, state senate, in the senate back in yeah. the day in 2002. Um, so they may have, the recruiting efforts will be interesting to see who they can get to run for these districts. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Chips Guitari, Reginald Bolting, thanks to you both for coming in. Thanks for the conversation. Thank thanks you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.